Good morning. Now, um, I wasn't disappointed that when Holly asked, who do you think of, and you didn't mention my name, that's, that's a quite okay, that's quite okay. Uh, um, I don't know what you hope for in this moment. In this moment, what do you expect? What do you hope? You hope maybe the preacher has been praying, mulling over the scriptures, mulling over God's word, has gained some insight and wisdom and then is about to impart it to you. And you're in good hands. I am a wise guy, <laughs> wise person. And, um, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before, I'm also quite humble. Um, very humble person. And, and, and when we look at our passage today, those two ideas come together beautifully, don't they? James's idea of wisdom from above is a wisdom that's full of humility. And I embody both of these things, so <laughs> how very blessed you are today. Seriously, though, um, seriously, James, James does give us a picture of what wisdom from above looks like. He, in fact, the way that he does it is that he helps us to see that there are other types of wisdom. And so he looks at these two types of wisdom. One seems worldly and one seems from heaven, from above. And it's important to be able to distinguish between them because I'm absolutely certain that worldly wisdom is among us. It's insidious and subtle. I see it in my own life all of the time, a worldly kind of wisdom. And James speaks of both of them and he shares their outcome, what they produce, what they look like. So listen carefully to this wisdom that's not from above. He says... If you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven or from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So this kind of wisdom, this earthly kind of wisdom, this wisdom which has characteristics of selfish ambition, bitter envy. It's, it's almost a prideful kind of wisdom because it's pride that leads us. Pride is this inflated sense of self. Pride leads us to be in competition with one another, in comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. That... I want to be wiser and more intelligent. I want to be right. This kind of wisdom leads to disorder and every evil practice. And James has much to say in his letter about humility and pride. You'll see it scattered throughout his letter. I mean, a little bit later on, he'll quote from Proverbs and says, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about pride in this way. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more 
than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. This wisdom that's worldly is full of pride and we see it all around us. And so the wisdom from above is not envious, it's not selfish, and it's not prideful. But we see it all around us. I mean, think of examples of, I don't think about athletes, or let's say there's a, a diver and he dives, he dives a brilliant dive, he's in contention, he's going to get the gold medal, there's one more competitor to do a dive, and this next competitor dives the most amazing, beautiful, marvellous dive you've ever seen. What's the first instinct of the heart for that other diver? Damn, I missed the gold medal. But if the diver really loves their sport and really loves the art of diving, then might it not be their first thought is, wow, that was a marvellous dive. Boy, they deserve the gold medal. But pride needs us to be better than the other. In fact, sadly, sometimes even in our parenting, we unknowingly encourage this competition and comparison. It's not enough that our children might display some skill or talent, we might gently encourage them, without saying it overtly, we might encourage them to be better than, to be the best. Of course there's a way in which we can grow and mature to reach our fullest potential, but it's this idea of being better than, more important than, that gets in the way of real unity, of real love. But James goes on to tell us what this wisdom from above can look like. And so he says, the wisdom that comes from heaven, sometimes translated from above, the wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's what wisdom from above is characteristic of. That it's wisdom that comes with humility. You can hear it in those words. There's a humility, there's a gentleness, a tender-heartedness, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere. This is about humility, for James says it at the start, doesn't he? He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Let them show it by their deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Why does James associate humility so closely with wisdom? That, that real wisdom, and that's what we're talking about, right? There isn't really two kinds of wisdom. He's simply making that comparison so that we might see that there is only one true kind of wisdom. In the same way that he speaks about faith, he says even the demons believe in Jesus. Well, that's a kind of faith. 
but it's not the saving faith. It's not the faith that sees God for who he is, the good and loving God. It's not that faith. So there is a true kind of faith. And just like there's a true kind of wisdom. There's a place um, in the Bible where if this wisdom, let me take that back one moment, if this wisdom is from above, from heaven, heaven, the dwelling place of God, what we're talking about is this wisdom is from God. So it'll look a certain way. There's a place in the Bible where Jesus speaks of his own heart. There might be all sorts of scriptures we could go to to describe God, and it would be good and right to do so. We could say God is like this. At the centre of his being, God is this and God is that. But there's a place where Jesus actually speaks of his own heart. And when Jesus speaks, he's speaking of the heart of God. And so this is the one place where Jesus actually speaks of his heart and what's at the centre. And when we're talking about heart, we're not just talking about our emotions. Heart is the centre, the innermost place where everything else flows from. And so... um, In Matthew 11, famous words, 28 to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For I am gentle and humble in heart. There are all sorts of ways we can describe God, but this is at least a significant way in which Jesus himself reveals the heart of God. For I am gentle and humble, sometimes translated lowly, gentle and lowly in heart. And this is particularly, this is particularly how God feels towards sinners and sufferers. This is particularly his heart for the downtrodden, for the weary. His heart, particularly to that group, is gentle and humble. What has this got to do with wisdom? When we talk about the humbleness of God, what do we mean? We're talking about, he's the exalted one, the highest of the high. The most exalted. When Jesus is using the word humility here, he's talking about accessibility. That God has come near. The one that you think you can't approach, the holies of holies. If I'm sinful, how do I approach the holies of holies? Jesus gives an invitation, come to me. How will people come to him? How will people come to God? He gives them confidence and assurance by telling them how God is, how God feels towards them. He's gentle and humble. Do we think that our sin is greater than God's grace? Jesus here is telling us that he is gentle and humble. This is about communion. Communion with God and communion with each other. So when we're talking about this wisdom from above, which is gentle and humble, 
We're talking about a wisdom that draws people to God, that draws people to one another. It's not a divisive wisdom. It's not a wisdom where people are competing and comparing themselves, which only divides and doesn't allow true communion with God and with one another. This wisdom from above is about communion. We often think uh, less in terms of communion and more in terms of commodity. Wisdom is a commodity, something to be used, something to bolster me or people's opinion of me. Preaching, preachers can become a commodity. We look for our favourite preachers, we download all of their sermons, we listen to them. It's, and I can gain wisdom from it. Maybe I can even listen to a sermon today and gain some wisdom. But is it the kind of wisdom that draws you closer to God? The kind of wisdom that draws you closer to one another? Or is it the kind of wisdom where you feel like you've gained some insight and wisdom and knowledge that you can somewhere, somewhere throw it into a conversation somewhere? What kind of wisdom is it? James is concerned for this community. There are some that think themselves wise. He says at the beginning of his chapter, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. There are some people that consider themselves wise. But how do we use our tongue? How do we use our words How are our words and wisdom reflected in our conversations with one another, on social media, in relation to current affairs or topics, politics? Everyone has opinions, ideas about COVID, about politics, about sports people who should or shouldn't be in the country. Everybody's got an opinion and a strong one. But do our words create space for God to draw us nearer to himself and nearer to each other? Or do our words create division and push us further away? Just a small aside, this is not to be mistaken for the idea that our words could never cause conflict or disagreement, that our words sometimes spoken, truth in love, may be sharp some of you may think of Jesus and go, gentle and humble. Yeah, Jerome, but Jesus is also, you know, he's quite sharp sometimes. He did drive people out of the temple. But both with Jesus and with James, think about the overarching attitude of their hearts. When Jesus is driving people out of the temple, it's because the temple, a place of prayer, has been turned into a marketplace. It's a place where the Gentiles are being exploited. Their communion with God and their communion with people is being disrupted. Jesus' overarching heart and actions are for communion. The wisdom with which his actions and words come out are from a place of seeking communion. James' desire is that people would be mature, not lacking anything. They would become whole. They would be a people who are drawn close to God and close to one another. Uh, let me. So wisdom from above is gentle and humble, but let me share CS, uh, some final thoughts from C.S. Lewis. He says, um, 
He says, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God because a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Heaven, God is above. And if God is above, we are below. And if we are below, this wisdom that we have is a gift from above. It's not something I acquired or attained. Look how clever and wise I am. If we have wisdom, if the church has wisdom, it's wisdom that has come down as a gift, a good gift from God. This wisdom from above is a gift received. There's no room for pride. There's no room for boasting. And this wisdom that God gives us is a wisdom that enables us to draw near to himself and to draw near to one another in truth, not in competition, not in comparison. Another test for whether this humility exists in you is the ability to value and appreciate others and to articulate it. But you don't feel jealous or envious, you celebrate. The silver medalist celebrates the gold medalist. They can appreciate and value great skill. This wisdom from above is a gift received. James himself talks about good gifts that come from above in chapter 1. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above. That word above is the same word used to talk about um, wisdom from heaven. Same word. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. It's a good gift, wisdom. And it's a good gift that draws us nearer to God and nearer to one another. Listen to these words again and picture. Picture a a church, picture a community that embodies this kind of wisdom. It's pure. It's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. It's no wonder James finishes with the verse, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a a harvest of righteousness. Why does he turn to peacemakers? Because it's about peace, reconciling, communion, drawing near to God and to one another. Let me pray. Good God, we thank you. We thank you for you. We thank you for communion with you. We thank you for making us one with yourself. We pray, Lord, that we might share your heart, that it might be gentle and humble, that we would have a tender heartedness towards one another, towards those outside, especially towards those that are considered sinners towards those that are suffering. We pray that we may display this kind of wisdom. For Christ's sake. Amen.